We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, welcome to the Patreon Q&A episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler, and as always, Jason and Steven are with me. Jason, first off, how are you? And second off, can you tell me a little bit about that video you just added to the Patreon page? I'm great, and uh, I guess the video is... So I went and did a breakdown on Jordan Love, QB out of Utah State, and uh, just addressed a lot of the the problems that... the the community seems to have the chargers community seems to have with Jordan love. And, um, and I felt a lot of it was just, uh, kind of following what the common narrative is, whether it's right or wrong. And so I kind of wanted to address, what did I just say? I kind of wanted to address some of the concerns there about Jordan love. And one of the biggest ones was that he doesn't have a good processor. I addressed that in the video and, gave my opinion on why he does have a good processor and um the video just really goes through a little bit of everything his decision making processing uh his potential as a quarterback in the nfl uh why he's worth a sixth pick uh again what did i just say a a sixth pick um but it just seems to be people believing he's not worth the sixth pick so trade back if you like jordan love you're going to find in the coming month, like not the coming months, because it's so close now. God, we are so close. Less than 20 days. days. Yep, 18 days away. So you're going to see in the the next couple weeks why the NFL is higher on Jordan Love than the media is. If you have a guy with potential like Jordan Love where everybody's talking about, like every team is talking about, oh, we could trade back to get this guy or trade back into the first to get this guy. When every single NFL team is doing that, you know that this prospect is higher sought after than the media leads you to believe. And so the video just goes through like, why? Why is he worth this sixth pick? Why is why are all these GMs talking about him as this top 10 guy? And um, just a brief spoiler alert, it's because he just makes throws that maybe five quarterbacks in the NFL can make. Maybe five. And it was time and time again as I was going through these these reps from him where he made a throw rolling to his left as a right-handed quarterback and would just fit it into a tight window 40 yards downfield where you're just like, that should not be possible. It shouldn't. It, it's not right. And you're talking about Aaron Rodgers can do it, Patrick Mahomes to do it. What? Again? Patrick Mahomes to do it. Patrick Mahomes <laughs> can do it. And then uh, Deshaun Watson maybe 
Like maybe. And then you got Russell Wilson, of course, who can maybe get it. Uh, probably we saw him do it last year with that insane throw to Tyler Lockett. Um, and that's the kind of the thing, like we saw that throw to Tyler Lockett and all of a sudden everybody was ready. Oh, Russell Wilson is QB one in the league and over Patrick Mahomes. Even Jordan love has made that throw. So how can you say that he's not worth the sixth pick, you know? And that's kind of the thing I'm trying to point out to people here is if you're ready to label a guy like Russell Wilson as QB one over Patrick Mahomes because of one throw, then how is Jordan love not a top five quarterback, like top five pick in this draft? So just the kind of things I'm pointing out in this in this in this video. So if you want to check it out, it's uh, available to our five dollar tier and up, and it may or may not be available to the public later on as well. Yeah, so I was just going to say, just going to add on to that. Um, it is an hour of work that Jason has put in. Well, more than that, but it's an hour long video. Um, and so if you haven't watched it yet, I've, I personally am about half an hour into it. Um, it really is a great breakdown of all the attributes that Jordan Love has. So if you haven't watched it yet. Um, definitely go check that out. It's a brilliant job by Jason scouting Jordan Love there. Like Jason said, that'll be available to everyone at the $5 tier or higher. I've also shared a link to our grades for the 2020 draft class to those at the $10 tier or higher. So when you're hearing this episode, you should be able to see our work in progress big board, one for Jason and one for Steven, as well as grades for each position. Steven, I didn't ask you, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Just happy to talk some football today. Absolutely. And you got the you got the chance to talk to a couple people this week. Uh, would you like to tell us about the one you have today and the one for this Friday? Yeah, so uh, it was actually really spur of the moment. I tweeted out a video of uh, Appalachian State running back Darrington Evans. And uh, he saw the video and actually retweeted it and then followed me or followed the podcast account. And so I just messaged him and I was like, hey, thanks for following. Maybe we can get you on in the on the podcast sometime. And he was like, can you do it today? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, let's go. <laughs> Um, so he's a guy, uh, just a, a prospect that I really, really like it. And I think he probably ends up going a little earlier than what the chargers are looking for because the running back position isn't a huge need for that team. Day two guy. Yeah. He, he, he when you watch him on tape, you see four, four speed right away. And, um, that's something that I talked to him about just like that speed and the production. He had 24 touchdowns his last year at Appalachian state. Ooh. And so you know, coming out of that conference, I think that conference has done a good job of building up their teams. And so the small school thing doesn't really apply to them anymore. And he talked about that. Um, I was just really impressed with his mentality as a quote unquote small school prospect because it wasn't there. Like he belongs and he knows he does belong. And if the Chargers did get him, I would be thrilled because he has game breaking speed and he'd be a great uh, addition to Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Um, so whoever gets him, he's going to have a great career and he's definitely someone that I'm going to be paying attention to, uh, for the next 10 years. Yeah. He's just a really fluid back when you watch him, like between his feet and his speed and switching gears, there's not a lot of players that can switch gears fluidly. And what I mean by that is where it's a noticeable, okay, he's going like a jogging speed reading the play and now he's exploding. No, he's yeah. very good at varying what speed he's going, and it messes up angles by those safeties. Like, you'll see a safety have a good angle, and then he just, it's just like this smooth, gradual process to a faster speed. And then the safety's yeah. just like, ah, I'll give up. <laughs> and a lot of times when you see a, like a really fast, a really twitchy running back, you'll see them kind of lacking in the patience department where they just like, they just want to hit that hole and just go hit a home run. But he's really patient. Like, he'll sit and wait and let the blocks develop. And then he has four four speed where he'll just go and knock that part knock it out of the park. And his speed is just insane. But his patience is really good too. And how about a little sneak preview of that one from Friday? So the other one I did uh, over the weekend was actually with Chargers punter Ty Long. Um, and I, honestly, like it was just really cool to be able to, to pick the brain of a punter because you know specialists in general they're not someone that you hear a whole lot of like the kind of detailed work that they are putting in. So. Uh, I definitely learned a lot. I've never played punter or kicker or anything like that. So uh, just being able to learn from him and, and discuss what exactly he's looking for in the thought process and training process of, of being a, an NFL punter is. And we also talked a little bit about what he's doing to pass time during the coronavirus shutdown. And uh, I think he's going to have some funny answers for you guys to listen to. I played punter for one game. Uh, it was not great. Not great. So you like the Tom Brady punt or whatever? <laughs> uh, that one time. I played punter... For two Did you snaps. make it over the line? 
<laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean they were they were solid punts, but there was I I don't think I've ever been that fearful in my life. I'm good. I'll never do it again. I'm fine. All right, well let's listen to that first one from Evans. All right, Chargers fans, happy to be here today with you guys and happy to be joined by uh, Darrington Evans from Appalachian State, who was the 2019 Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year, and we're just thrilled to have him on here. How are you doing, Darrington? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, first and foremost, how are you and your family dealing with uh, all this uh, pandemic of COVID-19? trying to minimize you know as much activity outside the house as possible um you know just trying to keep everything sanitized and eliminate traffic in and out the house yeah for sure um is this a is this affecting very much your training routine and approach as you make this transition from college to the nfl uh a little bit but not really um you know typically i still be at school right now um finishing my last class which i am still but I would be training up there. Um, now I'm just training from home back here in Florida. So, you know, just different locations, same thing. Gotcha. That, that totally makes sense. Um, so just kind of talk to our listeners about your experience at Appalachian State. I know it's still kind of considered a small school, but uh, your coaches have done a really fantastic job uh, building up that program. And I know you guys had games against North Carolina and South Carolina this year. Uh, so if you could kind of just walk us through that experience you had at Appalachian State. Yeah, uh, coming out probably be one of the best decisions I made, um, especially at a young age coming out of high school. Um, you know, I'm a four-time Sunbelt Conference champion. I'm a four-time Bowl champion, a two-time Sunbelt Championship game MVP, and a one-time New Orleans Bowl MVP. So, you know, it was a lot of success. I came into school at App 100% with bowl games and conference championships. And it's not too many people who can say that. Um, you know, it's it's a great culture, family oriented. Um, it's a player led team to where, you know, the players take initiative of trying to, you know, handle situations or making sure that the standards met with the team and um I had my first my first head coach, Coach Scott Satterfield, he's now at Louisville. Um, he left two years ago. And then uh our previous coach, um, Elijah Drinkwood, he left and went to Missouri, so now we have Coach Sean Clark at App, who was there since I came in. He was the offensive line coach. Wow, so there's been a lot of mobility there. Uh, obviously, that speaks to the success that you're talking about. Um, you guys had a really special 2019. Uh, I think you guys won 14 games, right? Uh, I think 13-1. 13-1, my, my mistake. We just had one loss. Gotcha. So uh, you had an ultra-productive, ultra-explosive uh, junior season. You rushed for over 1,000 yards as a sophomore with nine touchdowns, but then this year uh, you jumped to 24 touchdowns as a junior. What kind of uh, led to that increase in production, do you think, if you could pinpoint one thing or, or multiple things there? Yeah, it's multiple things. Um, what people don't realize, you know, they just look at numbers on paper and they don't think about the situation and the scenario. Yeah. So coming into at my freshman year in 2016, I was. We still had the all-time leading rusher at App. He was still present. He was a starter. Then we had Jalen Moore behind him. Jalen Moore still plays with the Jets right now. And then we had two other backs and then myself. I signed as an athlete, a receiver, and a running back. So initially, you know, we were kind of deep at running back to where I can go and play receiver to get on the field early. Um, and then once Marcus Cox left, Jalen Moore was running the show. Jalen Moore was running the show until – um, my red shirt sophomore year, mid-season, he got hurt. And that's why I took over the starting role. So about five, six, seven games in, I wouldn't start. I really wasn't getting that many carries to where after that, I ran for 1,200 yards in like six, seven games. But on paper, it looks as if it was a whole season when I really only had half a season to do that. And then you can see from there, those six, seven games leading into my 2019 season, I just carried the same momentum. To where potentially if I had a full season in 2018, who knows what the numbers would have been. Yeah. Just, you know, based on my situation, I had guys in front of me where I had to play my role. I, you know, just do what's best for my team at the time. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, that totally makes sense. You know, you just have to uh, do the best in the situation you're given. So 
Um, you did play against uh, some good, some really good competition this past year. I mentioned the South Carolina and North Carolina games. Was there something that you kind of uh, took from those games that that you took going forward to finish the season in a, in a strong manner, the way that no, you did? No, I was not at all. Those games, actually, you know, we we come into games like those expecting to win. We didn't look at it any differently. Um, you know. I would say the the hardest game of the season would be playing Lafayette. We didn't Lafayette. Oh wow! Because, you know, games like North Carolina and South Carolina is just all about matchups. You know, they're going to be a lot bigger than us in the trenches with our offensive defensive line. But at the same time, it's it's about that edge. We have a certain edge of that to where we're going to be faster than them, but they might be bigger. We're going to try and be more explosive to where we can use our strength in that area. You know, and have the advantage. Um, you know, just things like that. It's just, it's all about matchups. Yeah, totally. And you mentioned that speed, and that was the first thing that I noticed watching your tape specifically. Uh, you just hit the hole hard, you hit the hole fast, and then you have that extra gear that people just can't catch you. So, um, besides being a, a vertical explosive speed guy, how would you describe your game to people who maybe haven't watched you yet? I would say elusive, and, you know, I kind of I use my vision and my speed together to really help myself, you know, with making people miss to where if I see a hole, I can hit a hole, you know, I can kind of tempo into it to where I can go from slow to full speed on the stop of a dime. Or I can go from full speed once I break out to making a cut on the stop of a dime, you know, to where it makes it harder for tacklers to, like, gauge and try and, you know, get a form tackle on me because they don't know if I'm going to make a cut, they don't know if I'm going to speed up, don't know if I'm going to try and slow play it, you know, just keeping the defense on their heels. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then you did run a four four one at the combine, and I just kind of wanted to ask you about your experience there, uh, maybe with the drills, and maybe you could mention some some interviews that kind of stood out to you. What was your experience like there in Indianapolis? Well, you know, going to Indianapolis for the combine was a dream come true. Um, being able to compete against the best guys in the country, um, all pursuing the same thing, uh, chasing our dreams. Uh, I feel like during the week. I more so help myself um, with my draft stock with the interviews versus even my on-the-field performance. Um, you know, just talking to teams during interviews and, you know, picking their brain and then picking my brain and just talking football. A lot of teams were like, wow, like, you should be a coach. <laughs> That's I'm like, awesome. I'm thinking to myself, I'm just doing, yeah, to myself, I'm thinking I'm just doing, like, the basic stuff, just saying stuff. But they're like, you really, like, understand football and know what you're talking about. Very cool, very cool. Is there, um, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah, I follow him on Twitter, he mentioned that you have been talking to uh, a bunch of teams since the Combine. What's the, what's that process been like for you? I'm about to say it's been real busy. Um, <laughs> I actually got to make it out and visit with the Titans before uh, the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah. And then after that, all my videos and stuff got canceled and rescheduled like FaceTime calls, so. I've been really busy with FaceTime calls, picking up Skype calls, um, Zoom calls, Microsoft Teams, stuff like that. And, you know, it's really, it's it's a blessing to have them, you know, but understanding that the situation with the coronavirus changing, that you just have to adapt. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just the world that we're living in. You know, I think everyone's world is just kind of flipped upside down. And uh, especially you guys, you know, you're going to have this really awesome moment in the draft and stuff like that. And it's just going to be something that, uh, we've never really seen before. So like you said, you just got to live and adapt. So as far as your training goes, is there kind of one thing that you are working on specifically uh, that can help you make the jump to the NFL while you're training right now? Uh, not exactly. Really just sharpening every area of the game um, that I use. I'm trying to keep my strengths my strengths while working on some of my areas that I feel I need to work on a little bit more. But, you know, just trying to be detailed with everything I do, that's that's the main thing I notice when preparing for, preparing for the NFL. You have to be detailed with everything you do because everybody's watching, everybody's professional. It's like you can't get away with a lot of stuff that you would in college or high school. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, I, I have uh, full confidence that you're going to be able to succeed in the, uh, in the NFL. It's been a pleasure watching your tape. Um, I did want to get you out on this one. If you could just maybe talk about it doesn't necessarily have to be a teammate you played with at Appalachian State, but the best player uh, you've had the opportunity to play with. 
Ooh. Let me think about that one. Best player I've ever played with. And you said lifetime? Yeah, it can be high school, it can be college, or even, you know, if you want to go back to middle school, that's that's totally cool, too. Oh, that's tough. I done played with a lot of great guys. Uh, man, let me think about that one. You can mention a couple if you'd like. It doesn't have to be one. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll mention a couple people. I'll say Dakota Dixon, um, Cole Holcomb, Akeem Davis Gaither. Jalen Moore for sure, and then Tay Hayes. Uh, those are, those are all guys you know. They kind of left the mark on me and stood out to me, and made me just want to work harder. And I also Zach Thomas, uh, the current quarterback of that. You know, we kind of we kind of like helped each other and built each other up to where we can learn from each other. And you know, I'm gonna say without him, I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I'm at, and vice versa. Very cool. I love hearing about those experiences and those relationships that you've uh, have built up over the over the years. So you mentioned Jalen Moore, who's uh, with the Jets. Has have you been able to pick his brain at all and, and uh, kind of get help get his thoughts uh, on this whole process as you transition to the next level? Oh yeah, I talk to Jalen every week. Um, I was actually about to train with him um, after pro day before it got canceled. I was going to stay in North Carolina and train with him in Charlotte. Uh, but with the virus and stuff, you know, situations change. But at the same time, like, we talk every day. Um, anytime I have a question I need to ask him, something, he's there for me. He keeps it real with me, lets me know certain things, um, you know, ins and outs about the game, and then just kind of what to expect, just helping me out to where everything's not new to me, where I can kind of prepare for it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really cool to be able to have a mentor like that, I imagine. Uh so it's been a pleasure having you on, you know, even if you don't get drafted by the Chargers, which I hope you do. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, but either way, you know, we root for your success at the next level, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Now we'll move on to our main topic of today, which is are your Patreon Q&A questions. You can ask us questions and get your questions answered. Uh, either if you bump your tier pledge up to $3, or if you aren't a Patreon member yet, please consider signing up by following the link in our Twitter handles, podcast. Bleh. You're okay. You're good. You just headbutt your mic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm leaving this if in. You'd like <laughs> it's not getting cut out. It's staying. <laughs> you were fine until I'm you so headbutt hungry, your mic. I'm so hungry, dude. I'm so hungry. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Uh, yeah, if you'd like to get your question answered, please consider joining up. All right, the first one is from JD, and JD writes, What are your thoughts on the continued construction of the new stadium despite a worker testing positive for COVID-19? Personally, I think they need to shut construction down, and we just play at Dignity Health Sports Park for one more year or start mid-season. Guys, what do you think? Yeah, this is a tough one. I think right now with one worker, they could still manage a few more weeks at least, but from an ethical standpoint, I think they really need to shut things down. Um, Governor Newsom recently actually said he's doubtful that there is football being played in California this year. So a lot of that is just really up in the air as far as playing Chargers football this year, like play it at Dignity Health Sports Park, play it at the Rose Bowl for all I care. Um, but I really think that the stadium probably needs to be delayed at this point. I would love to see him just go back to Carson. I mean, obviously, look, I'm a season ticket holder. I've already paid money for this freaking, you know, season ticket. So I really yeah. want to see the new stadium. But at the same time, it's so nice going to the stadium in Carson, whatever you call it now, StubHub, Home Depot Center, Disney Hill Sports <laughs> Park. Oh, my God. I loved going to that stadium, just showing up, walk to the game, park in the green lot, and leave and back on the freeway in 10 minutes. I loved it. So, I mean, selfishly, yeah, I want them to stay open. And continue yeah. construction so I can get my opportunity to go to that new stadium. But obviously, health of the world is more important. I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The next one then is from Riley who asks, I'd like to hear from all three of you. What would you do as Telesco in the draft? Assume Miami takes Tua. Do you trade down with who? What, play do you, what player do you target? Thanks, guys. Also include that he said we're doing an awesome job. Thank you, Riley. He says, thanks, Riley. Yeah, Riley named our podcast, so shout out to Riley. Yeah, great name. So my, if I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to switch it up because everybody knows that I want Jordan Love. So I'm going to switch it up here. 
and I'll trade down. And the player I would be targeting depends how far you trade down. I'm assuming they trade down to like 9, 10. And, I mean, Jordan Love could still be available there. Uh, you're talking Justin Herbert might be available there. Um, I'm going to go with an offensive tackle. I'll say Andrew Thomas. I'll say Andrew Thomas at left tackle just to switch it up um, because I think that would be a really solid addition, and I think James Campen would work really well with Andrew Thomas because Andrew Thomas is such a smart player. Um, I think if you're talking about like from a football IQ and general awareness standpoint, um, I think Andrew Thomas is the most aware left tackle in this class. Like if he, if there's a stunt, he's going to grab it. There's it's not yeah. going to work against Andrew Thomas. So I really want to see Andrew Thomas care, paired with James Campen. I think that's a very good matchup, like a very good match there. And so if they could trade down and get him and just further cement that offensive line, and then you're getting more picks by trading back too. So then you could trade back into the first if Jordan Love or Justin Herbert, whoever it may be that they want, is still available. Then you can you have enough ammo to trade back into the first for them. So I'll say Andrew Thomas at 9 or 10. Yeah, so in this scenario, uh, with no Tua on the board, uh, I honestly would lean going towards an offensive tackle. I, I'm not thrilled with taking Justin Herbert or Jordan Love at six. Um, you know, you'll see in my rankings if you see them, I have both of them down in the twenties overall on my big board. Um, so just like from a pure talent standpoint, I would rather grab an elite talent at six. So Andrew Thomas, I, I would be fine with that. Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Mikai Becton. Really, any of the big four tackles I would be okay with. And I will point out that Tristan Wirfs actually has played on both left tackle and right tackle, so there's not really as, as big of a concern as uh, flipping roles like Jedrick Wills, who I love, but Jedrick Wills hasn't really played left tackle very much. Um, but Jason mentioned trading down. I think that's probably the smart play. If you're going for a quarterback, you trade down to nine, or, or maybe you could convince uh, Mike Mayock and John Gruden to trade up to six, maybe you grab two first-round picks from the Raiders. Um, I think if you're going to trade down, the smart play is the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars are pretty clearly uh, tanking for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields next year. So maybe you can kind of give them the extra ammo next year that they would need to either trade up or you know kind of do what the Dolphins are doing and just stockpile a bunch of picks. Um, but at six, no Tua. I assume no Akuda, no Simmons. I would take an offensive tackle there. Yeah, sorry, Riley. I'm going to ditto the answer and just take an offensive tackle. Like Steven said, I was actually interesting using the two Raiders first round picks. If you give up the sixth pick and the 37th pick, it actually kind of matches up. I don't know if yeah. the Raiders would give up two firsts to move to six. It'd be a freaking steal if Tua wasn't there and they got two first round picks. But in terms of just the draft pick value, it kind of works out if you get both their first and give up your second and the sixth. So that'd be interesting. And at that point, Maybe there's another offensive tackle that's there because if it's six and they're getting, I don't know, a Herbert or something, if I don't know who the Raiders would pick. Who would the Raiders pick? A quarterback, I, I mean, guess? They've been, they've been connected to quarterback or receiver the most, so maybe yeah. they go, go up to six and get Herbert or Jerry Judy, for example. Yeah. yeah. Do you really think Judy. they traded it for Judy from 12 to six? I think Jerry or Judy would possible. be available at 12. I don't right. know that he would be a. Um, depends on these teams, man. You just they throw curveball every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean they yeah. took they took Cleveland Farrell at five last year, and I thought he was going to be available at twenty. Oh, they'll so. take Derek Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll take Derek Brown. Yeah, <laughs> or Ken uh, Law. Else? Who or Ken Law? Javon Ken Law. Mm. Yeah, that actually would. Again, I have both Derek Brown and Ken Law rated really highly. So, I mean, that would make sense for them. They do need a defensive tackle. So, yeah. All right. The next one is from Josh, who says it's kind of similar question, but Simmons, Tua, Okuda, all gone, and the Chargers are on the clock at six. Besides selecting Jordan Love, what do you do? I think we kind of answered this, and yeah. I think this question we're not able to trade, so I don't know. Throw out another. Okay, let me let me change the question a little bit then. Sorry, Josh. Other than other than wide receiver, and assuming those guys are gone, assuming no Love, no Herbert, <laughs> and then not an offensive tackle. What's a crazy curveball the Chargers could pull off here? Like, Judy. Who would they overdraft? Yeah, I was gonna no, s- uh, no wide receiver either. No wide, no wide receiver? receiver. Would they Ooh. go crazy for like a Patrick Queen or something nuts? No, I don't think pa- I don't think Patrick Queen. I think Murray is better than Queen. Okay. I think 
and they seem to be doing their their homework on a lot of these mid-round guys like Logan Wilson and I think mm-hmm. they they had a player that they just met with like today or yesterday right that was another linebacker um I'm mad that I don't remember the name or have it able to pull up but man this is that makes it tough no receiver either I was gonna well, say I, Judy well I guess the curveball there would be Derek Brown or Javon Kinglaw just similar for the mm-hmm. Raiders because you're not no offensive tackle, no quarterback, no receiver, then you take the best player available, and that's Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw. I wouldn't like that. I would hate that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I would be excited for Derek Brown or Kinlaw because I mean they're great players. But I mean, you just took Tillery the year before, and now you have Linval Joseph, who is 31. So, um, and they and they actually are kind of hurting in D tackle right now, like they do. How many do they have on the roster right now? Three with Justin Jones? Four. with Oh, Broughton. Broughton as well. Because Square is still on re-signed. I actually really like our D-tackle room. Um, I kind of want to say a corner, but I don't Mm. like any other other corners when when you're talking about Okuda. Maybe C.J. Henderson at six, though. Ooh, this is dangerous territory. You've kind (laughs) of taken away all the positions that are worth... Like offensive tackle right. and quarterback, and I mean maybe because maybe you Caleb on Chase on. I mean that would be like the next most valuable position from an edge standpoint. But Chase on at six is that's dangerous. <laughs> maybe like maybe Xavier McKinney. No, it's a safety, and they're not going to take a safety that early. I'm just trying to think of like who I would take where, like in the top fifteen in general, and. uh I guess I'm gonna have to say Derek Brown, just or yeah. or Patrick Queen, like you said, Patrick Queen at, at six. That actually wouldn't make me mad. I I am surprisingly okay with that. Ha uh-huh. All right. Well, the next one is from Alex, and he asks, "What do you make of the difference between NFL GMs and NFL media members when it comes to Tua? Are you more pro Tua or hesitant, and why?" So there was there was a little talk a week ago or so about how NFL GMs differ from NFL media because if a player is off, often injured over the last two years, I think it was maybe Matt Miller who said this. I could be wrong. Um, where you're talking about players that have been injured a lot over the last two years, NFL teams tend to be a lot lower on them. And I think that tweet was directly related to Tua. Um, mm-hmm. But... It's just NFL teams, like Anthony Lynn said the other day, they have their ways to find out if a player is healthy or not. They have their ways of, you know, going and seeing, is this player good to go rather than just going and meeting them? Like, you don't have to go touch their knee to see if they're okay. They don't have or like (laughs) touch like Tom Telesco is not going to want to go touch Tua's hips to make sure he's not going to want to see Tua salsa. Right. They have their ways to, to see these guys are healthy. And um, Stephen Stephen is a little uncomfortable now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's just the way they – how do they defer on Tua? I mean, it has to be injuries. That's like the only way that they could defer because the talent is there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I could see NFL teams being higher on Tua actually, like to the point where maybe even the Bengals are considering him. Because they have more information? One, they have more information, and two, I mean, he played at Alabama, and Alabama yeah. players tend to be a little more sought after. Like, maybe that's a lazy answer, but that's just, that's all I can think of. I don't think there's a huge difference other than maybe two as higher on their boards than people think. Yeah, this is a this is kind of a loaded question because, I mean, really, we don't know what GMs are thinking right now. Like, there's that report that um, the Bleacher Report guy sent out that um, the Dolphins are higher on Justin Herbert than Tua. And I'm like, they they could be. That's totally possible. But we don't know that. Like, that could just be a smokescreen that they're sending out. So, you know, we've seen with Tom Telesco firsthand how close these GMs uh, keep things to the chest. So we really don't know. As far as the media goes, the media loves Tua. Um, you know, I think the media has done a uh, really good job analyzing the quarterback uh, battles this year. I mean, there's really nothing else to talk about. Um, but I think a lot of the media are really high on Tua. I think 
Um, there aren't many that are low on him. I think I've, the lowest I've seen him is like QB4. Um, so it just really depends on what the Chargers value, if they're worried about the injury risk or if they're worried about uh, Jordan Love's interceptions and decision-making or if they're worried about Justin Herbert being safe. Like it really like the three quarterbacks they're, they're potentially choosing from are three different directions that you could go in. So uh, it's just going to depend what they are valuing and how they're assessing the risk of each player. So there's there's a, another part of this question too. Um, are you more pro to it or hesitant to him, and why? Now, Tyler, what's what's your take on it? Are you more pro to it or are you hesitant to him because of those injuries? Is like, it asking does, if I'm more pro than media members, or am I just in general more pro to it? In general, I think more pro oh, okay. as a as opposed to more hesitant. Like, do, no, do I'm those more pro injuries? At this point. Like, no, not at all. I mean. Well, okay, first of all, I have no medical – I can't speak much on any of that. So it's it's mostly just information by diffusion from other people saying things and what you kind of see scattered around. So as far as I can tell, he's healthy. I think it was – was it Chow that said, yeah, he has an injury history, but he's not like a risk? I don't remember if that was him. Anyway, if the injuries are like fine and he's just going to be at risk more because he's just – He'd run, he'll run the football and get hurt rather than him re-aggravating an injury that he's had before. I mean, I'm pro Tua. Like, he's my second-rated quarterback, so I'm, I'm pro Tua. And the injuries, I mean, yeah, you don't want to see this guy blow out his hip, but, yeah, you know, all signs seem to – he seems to be okay. Yeah. And he seems to be not be a huge injury risk moving forward, so I'm I'm good for him at six. Yeah, so, everything's, everything's trending upwards for him as far as his health concerns. And then – my view, I'm more worried about his ankle injuries than his hip injury, because I, I think that. I think the ankle injuries they have happened more mm-hmm. often. And even there was a time last year, uh, or maybe the year before that, when he hurt his ankle and he didn't miss any games, but he was just playing through the pain. So mm-hmm. yeah. I'm more worried about the ankle injury. The the hip injury, he seems to be recovering fine from that. Um, he's had all good signs come out. It's just it was such a freak injury. And he also got a concussion and broke his nose at the same time. So, like, yes, I'm worried about his injury history, but I'm more worried about his ankles than his hip. And for me, every player comes into the NFL with risk of being injured. It's just the nature of the game at this point. And Justin Herbert also has injury history. And I learned on Daniel Jeremiah's podcast that he actually broke his femur in high school. So Justin Herbert also Mm. has an injury history. It's just... His injuries happened a long time ago, and Tua's happened so recently. I don't know about Jordan Love. I don't think he has an injury history, but you know, for the most part, people can come into the league and they just happen to get injured. Like Brian Balaga didn't have any injury history at Iowa, and he's had a pretty lengthy history injury history in Green Bay. So you just never really know. For me, I'm just looking at the upside and the talent and the potential that the Chargers would have of taking Tua and pairing him with Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry and so I'm yes, I'm worried about the injuries, but I'm also more of a glass half full kind of guy in this situation and looking at the potential and the upside. Well, it's like it's like if somebody asked me, "Are you worried that Keenan Allen is going to lacerate his kidney again?" Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> right, I'm not necessarily. <laughs> um, but there are other injuries in his career that can concern you. But yeah. I mean, over mm-hmm. the past over the past three years, he has not even missed a game. So, which For is awesome, party, by the way. Yeah, for the most part, he's played through his ankle injuries. It's just that they happen a lot. Right, and so it doesn't really concern me with Tua. Even the ankle injuries, while they concern me more, he played through them. So that just speaks to his toughness. And as Mm. long as something awful doesn't happen to him, he's going to play through it. And I even think Tua is one of those guys where, you know, if he's in the playoffs and he tears an ACL, he plays through it. I just think Tua is one of those those guys. Um, Whether or not the team lets him is another story, but... He's just a really tough dude, and so there's no questions for me there. Um, I think I spoke to about spoke about this last week, where I said the reason I'm not as high on Tua it has nothing to do with injuries. It's just I'm not very high on this quarterback class at all. Um, there's one guy that has elite potential for me, and that's Jordan Love. That's why I'm okay with taking him in the top in the top areas. But I'm okay with taking Tua. I just the reason I'm hesitant about him is not because of injuries. It's just because of his play so um at the end of the day man i'm i'm pretty pro tua but i the injuries have nothing to do with it at all 
All right, let's pivot to a different kind of question. This one's from Chris, who asks, I want to hear all three of your predictions for what our new home, away, and alternative uniforms will be. I mean, they're at least doing some combination of powder blue and sunshine gold. Do you really think they're going to have sunshine gold pants? God, no, I hope not. <laughs> Maybe I'm in the minority here. I hate the yellow <sighs> gold pants. I, just... I like it as a throwback. I just don't know if I like it yeah. 16 games a year. Yeah, it just... As far as like the away, like they could do a little bit more there and just kind of highlight mm-hmm. it. And then maybe you do like an all white look and just kind of throw in some, maybe you do like a, the old classic bolt down the sideline in sunshine gold or something, for example. Yeah. But I, I generally speaking, I'm anti yellow as a principal color on a uniform. I mm-hmm. just think it's really hard to, it's just an eyesore. Like you look at Oregon's mm-hmm. jerseys, whenever Oregon wears an all yellow pan or all yellow jersey, it's just ugly to me. Um, so I'm hoping that the home jersey is maybe like a powder blue and the white pants again, and then the away is all white. I mean, Green Bay pulls it off, but Green Bay is also green. So, I mean, yeah. green goes with yellow a little bit more. Powder blue, mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't see it. I don't see powder blue jerseys with yellow pants. That just does not for me fit for me. Now, if you're talking about away uniforms, like maybe yellow pants with the away uniforms, and you have like a white jersey with... Yeah, like some powder blue and gold mixed into it. Like, okay, I just and yeah. from a concept art standpoint, sure, the gold pants look cool with the powder blue because you can make it look nice and perfect. But I, the second I've seen teams like youth football teams where that have these kind of like high school football teams that have these kind of mixed colors, like they have you know yellow pants or red pants, and you're just like, stop, just stop. <laughs> Don't do it. And um, who knows? Maybe it looks good. I trust I trust the opinions of like Benjamin Albright and Peter Schrager, who have both said that they're amazing looking. So yeah. whatever concept they come out with, I, I'm I'm pretty confident that it's going to look real nice. So whether or not it's any of those combinations, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Yeah, and I wouldn't expect anything like too out there because, I mean, they had a chance to really swing for the fences with this rebrand and... I mean, they made it a little flatter and changed the color a little bit. So, I mean, they know that they are not going to mess with it too much like the Rams are doing. Um, so I, I, I trust them to to just make some moderate changes. You know, they already went last year and said that the powder blue was going to be the primary uniform. So, you know, I trust this, this uh, organization to make the right move as far as style points go. They definitely can't go back to like that early Tomlinson, like, navy color because that's that's just san diego right yeah yeah i think they're trying to get more uh more more LA. yeah yeah well we'll see are they still doing color rush is that a thing i hope no. so i hope they do it once or twice a year but i love the color rush jerseys i thought he meant like the color rush games like thursday night football um i hope they i hope they do because i love the royal blue I think that yeah, me too. I think that I like that even more than the powder blue. I love yeah. the royal blue uniforms. I As mean, a full uniform, I love it. Yeah, I mean most most teams have at least two or three or four games a year where they don't do the primary away or home colors. So uh, I hope that they keep the color rush around. The, the royal blue, all royal blue look is just so so clean. I yeah, remember when that was announced. Everybody was like really skeptical for the color rush, and like you had the Browns coming out with their all brown, and like everybody's <laughs> like, "What the heck is going on?" And then the Chargers, like everybody was really just like, oh, "This doesn't look good." And then the Chargers released theirs, and everybody was just kind of like, "Oh, this could work. Like yeah. this looks good." And like you compare it like to the Jets all green and Denver's all orange and Cleveland's all brown. Mm-hmm. There was some ugly stuff out there, and the Chargers. Uh, I think they hit it out of the park with those ones. So I'd like to see them stay. Yeah, for the most part, the color rush ones, when they're good, they're really good. Like the Ravens all black is really cool. The Bengals all white is actually really cool. And then the Saints all white is awesome. Yeah, it is. I I love that color rush one. But I think the the first game they had it was against the Broncos on Thursday night football in Qualcomm. That's the game that Jatavis Brown just went off. And I think Joey Bosa, too. They just were like crushing Yep. Oh, who was the quarterback? I don't know. Whoever was the Broncos quarterback at the time. It was great. Well, that, so I, have, I have fond memories of that one. I think Wasn't it Simeon? Yeah, Trevor Simeon, I think. I think it was. There you go. I can't keep track. <laughs> All right, the next one is from Anthony, who says, It keeps coming up to me 
that there is absolutely going to be a mid-first-round talent available for the Chargers in the second round due to other teams reaching for a need. If they get a quarterback at six, who would be your dream guy in the second round? Well, I know who Jason's is going to be. Uh, <laughs> he argued for it in the mock draft, at least. I think that's yeah. what he would say. Um, but something that I've just been really, really uh, thinking about recently is Patrick Queen. I think there's mm. some been some significant buzz about him potentially falling to the second round just uh, because of the linebacker position. I think Kenneth Murray maybe, but I think uh, media and team members really value Kenneth Murray more than Patrick Queen. So if the Chargers could get Patrick Queen at 37, I would be absolutely stoked. I think he fills, I think he fills in beautifully at the linebacker position. Um, he's exactly what the Chargers are looking for in terms of speed and coverage and downhill tackling ability. And he would just be a huge upgrade of the linebacker position for me. My dream guy if they get. So if they get their QB at six, my dream guy to get. C.J. Henderson. Whoa. C.J. Henderson okay. out of Florida. I would love that. Um, I know he's not a great tackler by any means, but you're talking about building one of the best secondaries ever and add C.J. Henderson to Chris Harris and Casey Hayward, Derwin James, uh, elite safety, and then Desmond <laughs> King roaming around, and you've got yourself an insane secondary. So I would say I'd say C.J. Henderson. I would love that. I definitely thought you were going Denzel Mims. So I'm I. glad you changed it up. So did I. But like you said, like Stephen, if Patrick Queen was there, that's such a Telesco pick in the second round, a draft faller a defensive player, a linebacker, and they need linebacker. And I think Daniel Popper said that they could even take linebacker earlier than most of us expect. It would be just – it was such a Telesco pick. So I could definitely see him doing that. Kaiser White's dead, so they need a linebacker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I love this offensive line class and, like, Austin Jackson and Ezra Cleveland I think would be great second-round picks. Um, I just think we're going to see him run on offensive tackles early in the first and then – like in the 20s, I think another offensive lineman run is going to happen. Um, and honestly, I think Patrick Queen's ceiling is higher than Austin Jackson or Ezra Cleveland's ceiling. Like Patrick Queen, I think, is going to be an all-pro linebacker. Um, and I mm-hmm. really like Ezra Cleveland and Austin Jackson, but just talent-wise and ceiling-wise, Patrick Queen would be a dream. And so would Denzel Mims and, and C.J. Henderson. Oh, yeah. I don't love C.J. Henderson, mm-hmm. um, mostly because Jason mentioned the tackling issues. But cover-wise, I think he's probably the second or third best cover corner in the class behind Okuda. So I would be thrilled if, if Henderson's there in round two, absolutely sign me up. Now I will say that Denzel Mims pairing him up with this receiving core is definitely a dream. So tempting. But if you're talking about a a bigger position of need, then I'd say CJ Henderson or Patrick Queen are more pressing than a wide receiver three, because I mean, you can expect I don't know if Den- if Devin DuVernay would be there in the third round, but we've talked about how we would even consider him at 37. I would draft him at 37. So, I mean, you could find your wide receiver three later, but dream ca- dream scenario-wise, uh, definitely C.J. Henderson or Patrick Queen. All right, our last question is from Grant, who just got this question in the last minute, who asks, how do you think, this is a long one, sorry, how do you think Tom Telesco has addressed the O-line during his tenure as the Chargers GM? I honestly think Tom Telesco has received a bad rap regarding his lack of moves towards offensive line. He has invested a plethora of picks in the draft on O- or what does it say? On O-line, such as Fluker, Lamp, Feeney, Turk, Pipkins, Feeney, no, etc. Sorry. Feeney and Lamp were seen as top prospects at the time. He has invested in free agents such as Slauson, Okung, and Barksdale, Franklin, and more. A lot of these signings have been serviceable, and Orlando Franklin was considered one of the best free agent linemen of 2015. I believe our O-line has just been derailed by injuries and some investments just not panning out. What are your honest opinions? Steven, start us off. So this is a, this is a great question and a great point. Uh, I've kind of been standing on this hill for a while. People need to understand that drafting players is Tom Telesco's duty and signing players is Tom Telesco's duty. But developing those players is exclusively the role of the coaching staff. So, yeah, Orlando Franklin didn't pan out. But like this question says, at the time, he was considered one of the best free agent linemen available. So, of course, you sign him. 
and then it just didn't pan out. And Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp, like, those were considered steals of the draft. Like, no one thought that Forrest Lamp was going to be there in the second round, and the Chargers got him anyway. Now, obviously, one of those two could still pan out. They're still young. They're still learning. But, I mean, he did what he was supposed to do as a general manager. He knew offensive line was a weakness for that team, and he took two in back-to-back rounds. Like, I don't know what else you wanted him to do. And then Jason's kind of stood on the hill of Trey Pipkins. Trey Pipkins... Sure, he was a third-round pick, and sure, he was a Sioux Falls guy, but he was the best tackle available at that point. You see some upside. I thought he played very well against the Chiefs and against the Raiders in his two starts. He has shown some signs to do. He knew that tackle was a weakness, but you have Russell Okung, and so maybe it's not a huge weakness. So you take a developmental guy, and you hope that he pans out, and I think that was a great pick. And again, with the free agency guys, you know, you you sign Slauson, and Slauson started for a year or two, and then you draft Feeney and Lamp, so you're like, okay, we don't need Slauson anymore. And it's just, he's invested a bunch in the offensive line. That's his job. He's done that. It's just, like the question says, like, people got injured. The development hasn't been there. Like, Max Turk, I don't think really, that was seen as a slam dunk pick at the time. It's just, he never got on the field because he was behind other guys. Uh, And this one doesn't even mention Mike Pouncey, who he also invested in. Um, so I think as far as a, as a capital standpoint, Tom Telesco knows that you need to invest in the offensive line. We saw it again this year with Brian Balaga. He's done his job. It's just that injuries and the development hasn't happened. Yeah, I mean, Turk, Tur- Max Turk, is that how you say his name? Turk, Turk, Turk? I just say Turk to avoid the twerk. Twerk. <laughs> um, Max Turk. People loved that pick. He was a very mobile center. He got to the second level so easy. I remember watching his tape and it's like he'd get to the second level so well. And that was his key that was his key thing was mobility. And I think he had a he was like projected as borderline first round pick at center. And then he got injured, I believe. And that Mm -hmm. caused him to fall to the third round. And so it was kind of like Keenan Allen territory where it was like this first round talent fell to the third round. Telesco's like, eh, the the upside is huge, so I'll take him. And it just didn't work. And at that that point with him, you can't blame Telesco for that. I mean, you're going and getting an upside player and it just didn't work out. You miss sometimes. Um, Now, where you start to wonder a little bit with O-line is like when he went like Chris Watt. Like that was not not great. That was not good. and then, I mean, with Forrest Lamp, um, I actually think Dan Feeney was a success. I don't mind Dan Feeney at all. I, yeah, you know, he's pick. He's a serviceable starter. He's fine. Um, yeah. Had a great rookie year, too. But then um, with Lamp, he's just not healthy. And, I mean, every time he's touched to the field, he looks really good. It's just he's not healthy. He's, yeah. And that's not really Telesco's fault because Lamp did not have an injury history in college. Uh, from my knowledge, and um, you know, I think the I think with James Camp in here, and you're going to see Trey Pipkins develop a lot. You're going to see if Forrest Lamp stays healthy, he's going to develop a lot. Dan Feeney is going to develop a lot. Uh, he you also got to remember he drafted Questenberry, and Questenberry looked fantastic. And if you're talking about Questenberry yeah. being a backup, you've got a loaded uh, interior line group there. And so, I mean, I think the crappy part here is i think he's actually built a really strong interior o-line but that interior o-line can't look good if your tackles are not even replacement level guys yeah yeah. uh pipkins wasn't ready but you saw the development there the big problem was tevi and scott and it was just you can't have feeney you can't really hate on feeney for for struggling so much when his left tackle all the year was like it was like a carousel man it was he 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 couldn't really get stability there like I believe Chris Hairston talked about us uh talked about this with us a while back yeah where you need to understand the person next to you you need to understand their tendencies you need to pick up stunts with them uh you just need to know them and if you're going between Trent Scott and Trey Pipkins and Russell Okung throughout the year, it's just that's not going to fly. And so I can't really – I can't diss Dan Feeney for struggling this year. I can't – and I can't diss our Michael Schofield. I was going to struggle to find his name for a second. I can't diss him either because he actually put up a, a solid year. It wasn't good, yeah, but it was solid. He did. It's true. Um, 
despite Tevi and Scott being the two rotating there, and um, which is even worse than what was going on on the left side between Okung and Pipkins. So, I mean, it's just... I don't think it was fair for fans to kind of hate Telesco so much last year. Um, and then now they're on his side again because he got Bulaga. But <laughs> we'll ignore that for a minute. Um, because he just... You can't predict what happened to Okung when you're drafting. You can't do that. I mean, yeah. I don't think it was April when Okung was out, right? I mean, wasn't that a month it later? Wasn't, when it Okung wasn't was until out? June that we knew that he was going to miss games. Right. And so, I mean, I thought he did fine. Go get your project. You're assuming that Okung is starting, and then you have Trey Pipkins learning behind him. That would have been a really good scenario. The only problem there is Tevi on the right side. But, I mean... The year before that, sure, Tevi was a weak, like a weak point of the offensive line. But what offensive line does not have a weak point? You know, mm-hmm. uh, every offensive line has a weak point to some extent. There's always going to be a weak, a weaker link there. Whether or not it's a Tevi kind of weak link is a whole other story. But each line does have their weaknesses, and I think, I think Telesco did a good job of that year of just finding a good development little guy and Trey Pipkins and building up basically trusting your staff to build him up and develop him into what he is now, which I mean, in the last part of that season, Trey Pipkins looked, I thought he looked great. I thought he looked mm-hmm. far and away better than that. I don't know if you guys remembered his preseason, but good Lord. That <laughs> yeah, was geez, bad. That was so bad. That was, I was wondering, like, I was questioning everything. Um, yeah when Trey Pipkins was there at left tackle in the preseason and (laughs) to see him go from that to that Raiders game where he only gave up two pressures and that was it. I was like, okay, all right. They, they did something right with Pipkins. They found somebody, they found a gym that they can rough out and figure out what he's got. And honestly, if they took, if they just took one lineman in this draft as like a depth guy late, I'd be okay. I mean, I would be ecstatic if they got a guy early, but if they just yeah. took a death guy late, I would be like, yeah, they, they believe in Pipkins, and that's an okay thing. Yeah, I think you probably want to add at least one guy this this draft again. But Telesco has shown that he he knows that offensive line is a key position, and he either drafts two or he drafts one and he signs one. Like He knows that he has to invest in the offensive line, and that's his job as a general manager. I just think people unfairly criticize Telesco when these guys don't develop or they're injured all the time when really he has nothing to do with the development. It's his job to get the players on the team. And he's done that. He's invested almost more than anyone in the league when it comes to offensive line and their talent. It's just they haven't worked out or they get injured. When he signed Joe Barso, I thought Joe Barso's first year as a starter was really good. And then he got hurt and was replaced by Tevi. And then I thought Tevi played okay. Then he got hurt and then was replaced by Trent Scott. And then, so it's just the injuries and the replacement and the, Lack of development, but Telesco gets the guys on the field, and that's his job. He's, in my opinion, I agree with almost every other than um, Chris Watt. I agree with most every decision he makes in the draft, even the Fluker pick, which everyone could say is a reach. He, like he walked into the building and had to protect Philip Rivers. He had to do something. So even though it was a reach, yeah. I kind of get it. Forrest Lamps a steal. Dan Feeney was like, oh my god, in the third round, that's great. Back to back, that's awesome. You know, but then he's unlucky. He takes Donovan Clark in the seventh round, and he apparently was like almost competing for a starting guard job, and then he hurt, got hurt somehow. Yeah, you know, it's just unlucky. Turk, like you said, draft faller, supposedly one of the best centers in the draft, didn't pan out. You know, how can he predict Lamp tearing his something every year? Um, and then in free agency, I think he's until Bosa gets signed. I think he's probably invested the most money in offensive linemen which kind of makes sense because there's you know five plus depth but I, i'm pretty sure he's invested the most money in there you know he picks up guys like slosson picks up guys like pouncey uh who else oh king dunlap trashed a treasure practically they plucked him from the eagles yeah this guy turns into one of the best left tackles in the nfl top 10 or something like that got his extension and then concussions keep him out of football so it's just it's just really unlucky but i mean we'll see now he doesn't really have an excuse I don't think about development because you know James Campen can do his job but if he if Campen does his job and they end up with you know they don't have to take alignment in this draft they end up with Pipkins on the left doing great developing Questenberry at center he's made the moves on the right guard and right tackle spot 
And maybe Feeney and Lamp <laughs> get it together. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of hope in left guard. I mean, it's fine, but whatever. Um, I guess the only real knock for me, and I think why fans are maybe more down as well, Telesco's never really had that Joe Thomas guy who's been with the franchise for like 10-something years. Yeah. Every problem he fixes, he just kind of plugs the hole and does a good job, but then another hole always opens up. Yeah. You know, none of these guys really pan out for like 10 years. You know, Fluker maybe was going to be that guy. Didn't work out. Slauson, Okung's gone. Pouncey, we have no idea. And again, that's another unlucky, unfortunate thing. He might have a you know, career-ending injury. So if he can start finding those guys like Pipkins, like Questenberry, who can, you can keep around for years and years and years and years, he might do okay. And the last thing I want to point out is that I think it was Chris Harrison who said, basically, if you're not a good offensive line, like a great dominant offensive line, you kind of just look like you suck. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, if if the Chargers can at least, I mean, I don't know, give them a little bit of a break. But also, I'm really curious to see how this offensive line looks when Phillip Rivers isn't there. Because on the one hand, he makes them look great by making smart decisions. On the other hand, he's not moving anywhere. So, I don't know. I'm really curious to see what they look like this year. Yeah. Any more thoughts, guys? Well, and also about DJ Fluker, you know, he's switched to guard and he's making a really solid career up in Seattle. So, I think... Yeah. You know, sometimes you just get guys wrong, and sometimes they should be playing guard when you played them at tackle. So that happens. Um, Lamp. Yeah, I think <laughs> Lamp probably should be playing tackle right now instead of guard, but that's another thing. Um, but ultimately, like like Tyler is saying here, with Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor does take sacks a little bit longer because he holds the ball. But even then, mm-hmm. you see his escapability, and he's never had this kind of offensive line. Like he's never played with a Brian Blogger or a Trey Turner, so. I think ultimately this team ends up giving probably around 35 sacks, which is a little bit of an improvement. I think last year, what they get up like 45? So if they can keep that number below 40, I think that's a win. And from a talent perspective, this offensive line should be much improved just because of Trey Turner and Brian Balaga. Even if they have Pipkins and Feeney at left left tackle, left guard, you have Pouncey or Cressenberry at center, and then you have a Pro Bowl right guard and Pro Bowl right tackle, and that's a big step up. If you're talking, If you're talking about which team gave up like the most sacks. I don't even think the chargers were up there that high. Right. I think it was mainly like pressure where the chargers were killed. Yeah. And because I mean, Arizona's offensive line was way worse from what I remember. Right. Like it was, it was really bad. And then Miami's as well. Weren't they giving up like almost four sacks a game in Miami, Miami, Carolina, Arizona, all their offensive line. And then those three were probably the worst that I watched all year. So I mean, yeah, if you want to see what a bad offensive line looks like, just go watch Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland. Oh yeah, that <laughs> was too. horrible. That was a bad time. Like that's a bad offensive line. The Chargers were kind of unlucky, but they're not that bad. Not yeah. thirteen sacks in two games bad or whatever it is. All right, that's it for our Patreon Q and A. Thank you guys for sending in your questions. Uh, we've got a couple episodes left until our big draft day live coverage of the first round. Uh, pretty excited. We're hosting it on Zoom, opening up an hour early to give our thoughts. Then we'll kind of throw it back to you guys, discuss what's going on. And then maybe we'll just be discussing the first six picks if the Chargers pick at six still. Uh, and then we'll open things back up to you guys uh, so we can chat face-to-face or you can send in a question via the chat feature or whatever. I don't know. Steven's the expert. Uh, before we sign off, Steven and Jason, where can we find you guys on social media? So Steven I Hagman is my personal Twitter and then GAC Podcast is the podcast account. Um, we're tweeting out mock draft brackets as well. Uh, so make sure you keep an eye out for that. Uh, the final round should be launching, uh, the day that this comes out. So make sure you make sure you get out and vote for that. At Centauri 13 on Twitter at GAC podcast 17 on Instagram, hashtag love at six. And also don't forget to check out my Jordan love breakdown over on the Patreon $5 tier or higher. And I'm really excited for this draft guys. At least give Jason the chance to explain himself and watch that video before you trash him for his opinion. Give the video a watch. I have not watched it yet. Sorry, Jason. Shame. Um, Yeah, you know. Out of curiosity, do you think, and I just watched Jacob Eason, do you think Jacob Eason is kind of more the guy that everyone thinks Jordan Love is? Yes. Like, oh, he's just... Yes. Because I watched him, like, that seems more like the guy that everyone thinks, the people that don't like Jordan Love think he is. In my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's spot on. Because I think Jacob Eason does have a lot of trouble with processing, and he does have Mm -hmm. some trouble with anticipation. 
and but he does have that rocket arm and he shows the potential um so when you talk about like what people think Jordan Love is that's spot on Tyler is Jacob Eason when I watch Jacob Eason I'm like man if if he had it together upstairs he would be a really good prospect um but is what it is I hope I hope people watch the breakdown and learn a little bit more about Jordan Love and understand why I think he's worth the sixth pick all right, this is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon on Twitter or at Guilty as Charged Podcast on Facebook. Uh, getting close to the drafts. We're excited, and we'll see you guys on Friday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.